It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Podcast special, that you would stand before me in the gap. Welcome back to Message to Kings. This is your host, Brett Heaston. There's been a lot of feedback lately on the podcast, and not just normal feedback, but listeners who want to participate in the program, which is a real delight. Greg from Mesquite, Texas, helped out last week, which I thought was really special. Thanks, Greg. And I received an email from Dan in Alberta, Canada, two weeks back, which really provoked me in a good way. He had a question that stirred me. Here's his question, and I believe it leads into an accountability that we have as kings and queens. I worked with Dan regarding his question and additional feedback and thought this just may apply to more people than we realize. For this reason, we've created a podcast special titled That You Would Stand Before Me in the Gap. Here's Dan's question. That leads me to a question. If you watch international news, you might have been aware that in northern Alberta, in the city of Fort McMurray, there was, is, a huge forest fire. When the fires were going through the city, some people were making comments about how the fire was payback for destroying the environment and for what the oil has done to the world. One politician tweeted, burn, baby, burn. Regardless of where you stand on the environmental issue, I think you can agree that these statements were stated by ignorant and hard-hearted people. Fort McMurray has some very nice people. It is full of hard workers, and it's full of money. And obviously this brings a lot of problems with drugs and crime and gangs. Could the fire be a judgment of God on the city? Does God still work that way in our day and age like he did on Sodom and Gomorrah? And is there biblical proof that he will act and judge like that before Christ returns? Wonderful question. Thank you, Dan, from Northern Alberta. All right, so I'm going to preface this question with the statement that we can't truly explain tragedy because our vision is limited to this present time and space. Since we don't have the spiritual side of Elisha in the Bible, and God hasn't shown us some spectacular vision or experience, we're limited in our understanding of tragedies. We all know there is a category in insurance and such where they declare something was an act of God, such as a hundred-year flood or a tornado or a hurricane, earthquake or such. This has probably occurred because we have no great answers to tragedies. In this case, it's really odd and rare when a town is or has been destroyed by fire. The videos on YouTube only confirm what our horror story Fort McMurray was. The place looks like a war zone today. We used to live an hour south of Joplin, Missouri when a tornado wrecked the town. We have to be careful to not blame God for tragedies and forget that a spiritual battle exists, much less be presumptuous enough to say that I or you have the answer but would like to present biblical examples and recommend what kings and queens should do upon tragedies and speak to the prevention of tragedy and judgment prophecies and pray for the victims and the fires in Canada. All right, we have the privilege of studying the Bible. 
God's character, and applying knowledge learned from history. There's tons of biblical examples of judgment prophecies and almost as many examples of those who intervene during times of crisis. Sometimes people instantly blame God for calamities because they don't know what to do. And when this occurs, we have to remember what to do when the waters get muddy. We have to remember the spiritual battle that's going on. We have to remember that who is good and who is evil. God desires to save all mankind. The devil's assignment is to kill, steal, and destroy. The fruit of the fire in Canada has been death to people, loss, and destruction to property and businesses and savings. This is not God. So the driving question is the following. Could the fire be a judgment of God on the city? Does God still work like that in our day and age like he did on Sodom and Gomorrah? And is there biblical proof that he will act and judge like that before Christ returns? Let's start with the biblical examples. Will God judge like this and destroy cities like Sodom and Gomorrah today? Okay, so Sodom and Gomorrah is Sin City, Las Vegas times 10. There was horrible sexual sin and surely gambling, but also violence to a horrible level. Las Vegas doesn't compare with the violence of Sodom and Gomorrah. The flood occurred due to pollution of the human race by fallen angels, and there was horrible violence as well. The terrible genocide occurring in the time of Joshua was against a land filled with giants and Nephilim. There's ample warnings for these cities. Even Sodom and Gomorrah lost a huge military battle prior to this occurring as a wake-up call. The Ark in Noah's days was enough of a warning. And there are lots of other examples, though we can't always point to some great reason like the Nephilim. Sometimes judgment is just due to sin. We don't get the fullness of the gospel until Jesus. First, let's say Jesus loved all people, especially the sinners. When he spoke to the sinner, he had nothing but grace for them. He loved his disciples, and with wisdom he rebuked them when they were in error. Jesus never did anything violent except at the temple courts where, where they were selling goods. In fact, he willingly went to the cross to be the sacrifice of all sacrifices for all time. Jesus' first coming was for the redemption of mankind and the fulfillment of the law. His second coming will be different. He will return as the lion and completely bound up the devil and bring literal heaven on earth. At the end of the age, let's note, depending on where you stand on the rapture, there may not be anyone righteous left as he judges the earth. So did Jesus prophesy judgment? Yes, he did. Primarily, he spoke of the end of the age and the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD in a mournful moment. So let's clarify a few different types of prophecy. In fact, there are different types of prophetic judgments. There's those planned for different times and ages. The prophecies most spoken of in the Bible are related to the end of the age. At the end of the age, or the end of the world, people like to call it, all hell will break loose, literally. It's going to be the worst of worst of worst times to live. There will be a rapture of saints at some point. Billions will die from war, famine, and plagues. There will be a gigantic battle to end the age, and there will be microbiological warfare, nuclear war, and it's going to be the misery of all miseries. There will be seal prophetic and bold judgments, and an asteroid, and darkness, and fire. These prophecies cannot be canceled or altered. Just like the prophecies of Jesus 
Before Jesus' first coming, the prophecies of the end of the world, those are unalterable. These are revelatory prophecies. These speak of the end of days, and they cannot be changed. These prophecies reveal the all-knowing God that He can speak the beginning from the end. Regardless of decisions and life and attempts by the devil, these prophecies will still occur. The prophetic words of the end cannot be altered. Judgment will come at the end of the age, just like it's stated in the book of Revelation. A righteous judge is still a judge. He will fortunately protect or rapture out his family, depending on your understanding of the time of the rapture, while those who deny him will face the full judgment of the end of the age. When will the end come? Only the Father knows. But there's other types of judgment prophecy. Judgment prophecy outside of the first and second coming of Jesus can be considered different. When a prophet prophesies of a destruction of a city or a kingdom due to sin, it can be averted. The volume of biblical examples of intercession really confirm this. Jonah was sent to decree the destruction of hated Assyria. After this judgment prophecy delivered by Jonah, the people were cut to the heart and hundreds of thousands repented and were saved in one of the greatest revivals of all time. Jesus even said to the wicked Pharisees that the people of Nineveh would rise and judge this generation. Was Jonah a false prophet because the city wasn't destroyed? No. In fact, his preaching and judgment prophecy led them to repentance and the city was saved from spiritual death. By numbers, Jonah could be considered one of the most successful preachers of all time. After Mount Sinai, God wanted to destroy the Israelites and Moses intervened for them. Prior to this, the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah was almost prevented by the intercession of Abraham, but he stopped at ten righteous people, assuming his family had it covered. Intercession and standing in the gap is a common theme in the Bible. Check out this verse written around the time of the destruction of Jerusalem in Ezekiel's day. Ezekiel twenty-two thirty. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. God is looking for people today to stand in the gap. We cannot go so far as to say there is no judgment prophecy in the New Testament, but it is limited in scope compared to the Old Testament. Though we know the character of Jesus and the fruits of the Holy Spirit, we also know in his lifetime, Jesus spoke of the end of the world, but also the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. I read this verse because there is so much to it. Luke 19:41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known of this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. In 70 AD, the Romans completely destroyed Jerusalem, and the scene is terrible, and Josephus was there as a first-hand witness, and it's almost like Jesus could visibly see it with his spiritual eyes as he entered the gates of Jerusalem. Jesus' words imply there could have been prevention to this disaster. 
if they would have known the day of their visitation. It could have been prevented. I have to connect this prophecy closer, though, to the unalterable prophecies, just due to Jesus' first coming and his death on the cross. But other judgment prophecies really appear to be different because God is looking for someone to stand in the gap. There are other events in the New Testament. Agabus prophesies a famine in the Roman Empire, but he doesn't state the reason. There's a direct personal judgment at the time of Ananias and Sapphira. It said God struck down Herod and he was eaten by worms. So judgment still exists in the New Testament, but it's not as clearly defined as the Old Testament. We don't see the cause and effects as clearly, but the concepts remain. With the world headed towards the end of the age at some point, it's like God is now storing up his wrath until the end of the age. While there is New Testament judgment, the reading of the New Testament is much different than the Old Testament. It doesn't speak to the judging of the nations as much as the evangelism and salvation of the nations. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, though God can judge and does judge, there is a holdback of his wrath until the end of the age when darkness is judged and the people and the nations. While the prophet makes his declarations, it is the king who stands in the gap. We have an example of Daniel praying for his nation after the 70 years of captivity, praying in his 80s for his people to be released, to be returned to Jerusalem. And it's amazing. But we are going to end this episode with the action that should be taken by every king. And honestly, I speak about this scene a lot, I believe. Kind of losing track how many times I've used this example. But symbolically, you can't beat what Hezekiah did. First, we start with the prophecy. At the time of Isaiah's prophecy of the virgin birth in the face of King Ahaz, he also prophesies the destruction at the hands of the Assyrians in Isaiah 7 of much of Judah, if not even Jerusalem, depending on how you read it. It was decreed to happen, and many decades later, the nation of northern Israel was removed from the map, and Jerusalem was threatened with annihilation. The people were quaking with fear when the general of the Assyrian army shouts threats over the walls of Jerusalem. This was the end of the matter. It was already prophesied destruction would come. At least that's how you could read the prophecy. They were doomed. There was nothing they could do. Judgment was already spoken, right? No. That my people would stand in the gap before me and hold back my wrath and intercede for my people. A written threat was given to Hezekiah. His response is a model of intercession. It wasn't complicated, but it was compassionate and authentic. Destruction was knocking at the door, and the king received the threat of destruction. Hezekiah took the threat and ran to the temple. He received the threat and ran to the temple and spread it out before the Lord and cried out to God. The threat was surrendered to God at the throne of grace. The threat was given to God who took the threat personally and took a stand for his people and his name. I bounced this answer off to Dan in northern Alberta, and he responded with the following statement, and it really holds true. This is Dan's words from northern Alberta. Like you said, the Israelites were hammered over and over again in order that they would turn back to God. 
So we should be able to learn from their action and inaction. But what do we do? Or how do we act when, unlike Israel, we do not have a prophet telling us of a specific impending judgment? I think that as kings, we are to be leaders and reveal the overwhelming love that God has for us. Not to dwell on the tragedy, but on how can we draw closer into God's care. So true. So true, Dan. We as kings must take the threats and dangers of disaster and destruction and take them to God and surrender them. And the greater law of mercy and grace, let it flood our land. I'm coming to the understanding that more judgments were averted than were carried out in the Bible. Confirming when judgment is spoken, God is inviting his faithful to stand before him in the gap. Only confirming the greater law is the law of mercy and grace. We in this podcast special praying for the tragedy and victims of Fort McMurray and for our hearts to be open and eyes to see our assignment to pray for our cities. Lord, we pray for the survivors of the tragedy in Fort McMurray. Lord, we pray for your presence to come upon them in their time and need and grief that you comfort them and you give them grace, that you provide for them and give them all that they need and you restore all that's been taken from them, that you become the father to the fatherless. We pray for full restoration for all that has been taken from the victims of this tragedy. Lord, we pray for our cities and our regions, God. Give us a hearing heart to see the threats and dangers that lurk and allow us to pray like Hezekiah and Daniel and to cancel destruction and tragedies and instead bring conviction and revival and an outpouring of your spirit upon our cities and nation that we may be counted among those who stand before you in the gap and invite you to move in a mighty way in our cities and nation. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.